Welcome to Reframing Our Stories. This podcast is dedicated to deconstructing the stories we've been told about who we are and how we're supposed to be. I'm your host, Kara Houck. Today I'll be speaking with Pamela Joy. Pamela and I are part of the ASECT community. ASECT means American Association of Sexual Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Pamela is a somatic certified sex and relationship coach with a master's in counseling psychology. Her business is called Down to There. Pamela has done a TED Talk with over 1 million views and has been quoted in a number of publications from the Washington Post, Bustle, Men's Health, just to name a few. What I find so interesting about Pamela is that she used to work for Apple and Facebook, and after experiencing getting some help in her own relationship with a sex therapist, she quit her job and set out to become one herself. She is highly successful at coaching couples in reconnecting and finding intimacy while helping countless women understand their sense of desire and fostering conversations around sex. I am so very excited to spend my time with her and hear more of her story. Pamela, thank you so much for being here. Thanks. I'm excited to, to have this conversation with you. Yes. I'm so glad that um, we found each other. Just through your story <laughs> and seeing your journey, just a little bit of looking at your wonderful website, I just thought, this is amazing. Like <laughs> she's someone we need to hear from because I feel like understanding desire and the stories that we have around sex, there's so many um, just myths that surround that, that we live into daily and um, end up putting a lot of strain on our relationships. So true. I love the concept of, a, you know, reframing our stories and our, our beliefs um, because, yeah, like you, like you mentioned, it puts this pressure mm-hmm. on us that really um, does not allow um, our relationships, you know, emotional intimacy, physical intimacy to flourish. Yeah, for sure. And I think it, it almost inhibits intimacy for sure. It's just... Mm-hmm. And we think we have a certain something to live up to that it feels like we can never really live up to. <laughs> and in order to even have that sense of what we hope for in these relationships, it's like we have to let all of that go. And then yeah. I think that's what's really hard. So I'm curious, what was happening within your relationship that made you seek help from a sex and relationship coach? Yeah, you know, it's it's so funny being where I am now and and you know taking a moment to step back to where I was then. And where I was then was um you know, I was in a long-term relationship. Uh, I think at that point I had been married for about 15 years mm. and um we just had this thing where you know, I mean, just frankly, like he wanted sex more than I did. Mm-hmm. And how that would show up in our relationship is maybe every like six to 12 months, you know, I, you could almost like feel it coming, right? This energy of like, oh, this elephant in the room, we're going to have to talk about it. And, and, and he would, you know, say, hey, I want more sex. And I'd say, mm-hmm. no, I don't, I don't know why. 
And we just had this kind of, you know, chronic pattern of him feeling rejected and frustrated mm-hmm. and me feeling um, guilty and a little bit broken. Yeah. And this was just kind of the cycle, you know, maybe we would try something that would like work for a little while, but then we'd get back into this pattern. And, you know, I think one day it was just, you know, just kind of realize like, we're not going to solve this ourselves. Like we probably need some help. Mm. And I went to my OB actually, and um, told her what was going on. And she, it was right off the bat. I just, I definitely felt some like sisterhood and release because she just kind of smiled at me and said, you know, oh honey, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you and so many women in my practice experienced this. And she actually um, gave me the name of a therapist because she was like, you know, I don't have a lot to offer you here in the medical field, but therapy might be helpful. And it was funny because I, I, I called that therapist and they were like completely booked. And then they gave me a list of other therapists and I called them and they were all booked. And it kind of started to dawn on me that what she was saying was probably true, that a lot of people experience this challenge and relationship. And mm-hmm. I think probably at that point, like my, you know, you mentioned I, I came from a business background with Apple and Facebook. And I think at that point in my mind, I was like, huh, like this is an interesting field. <laughs> right. Well, and it, I bet it just also, I mean, like you said, it kind of blew your mind to think that why are all these people booked up, right? Because it's, it's pretty brave, really, and courageous to seek help in an area that's so personal because we don't talk about sex that much as a culture. And then to um, admit the fact like, uh, this, something's not working here. And to go seek help for that, I always feel like is a really brave thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what's interesting is we do have a lot of like messages out in media, right? That these mm-hmm. like kind of classic, like, oh, I'm tired. Like I have a headache. I have to wash my hair. So we have these like weird messages that kind of like normalize maybe not feeling sexual desire, particularly if you're a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still is something that, because of those messages, it almost feels like this is just the way it is. So why would I go seek help? And, you know, my experiences with like, you know, regular physical exams, both with my OB and with my normal doctor, like no one ever asked me about sex. Mm -hmm. Not a single one of those doctors or, um, you know, OBs had ever said, and hey, like, let's check in with your sex life. How's it going? Mm -hmm. So it really does kind of you know, that's one of the things I I work with doctors and and therapists now to help them feel more comfortable asking that question, because short of them asking that question, it is really up to us as, you know, patients uh, or clients to bring it up. And so it did, it felt scary at the time Mm -hmm. um, to do, to ask. And I think it's also important to teach doctors to not be nervous to ask the question, right? Because you can tell sometimes when they do ask, Or when the topic is approached, you feel the anxiety at times in the room. Right. Right. And I think that, you know, I think most doctors and most therapists, I know, I know this, you know, going and getting my master's in um, counseling psychology, like I got very little training in sexuality. And I think that's true of most like doctors and therapists. Mm -hmm. So I think it actually makes a lot of sense for them to be nervous about it because maybe they 
don't feel very confident that whatever a client might bring up, they'll be able to help with. Um, certainly was the case of my doctor, but she at least had referrals, right? Yeah. So like, I don't know how to help you, but this person might. <laughs> well, I think that was the one thing that I was shocked at is to learn how little education doctors get around sexuality, which you would think that they would offer more, right, in these programs because so I it sexuality is so much a part of our lives and it affects so much of who we are, you know? And so uh, I know so many sex therapists like yourself who actually go in now to the medical community to help foster these conversations because they get so little education. Yeah. I mean, that was the thing, like, as you know, as we started seeing this, um, this sex therapist, like I was so shocked at like, actually how basic the information was that was being shared with me and how I just had never heard it before. Right. And because of that, you know, back to the expectations thing we were talking about, I had placed such high and false expectations on my body and what desire and arousal should look like or how to cultivate it because I just never gotten that education. I didn't get it when I was a kid, you know, I did, mm-hmm. you know, therapists and doctors even, you know, don't get it in mm-hmm. their formal training. And so it's like, wait, where's that happening? Um, yeah. So I'm excited, right, that we get to talk about some of those things um, in this podcast, because then at least, you know, the listeners of this, <laughs> this episode right. at least will know those things. <laughs> this is the goal. <laughs> So what was the transition like for you from working in tech to deciding to go into psychology and help people with their relationships? So, you know, because clearly this has made a big impact on you to have that experience. So I guess first I would say before answering that, what changed within you to then be like, I'm, I'm switching and changing course in my life? That's a good question. You know, um, I think even within the first few sessions, um, you know, couple of sessions where we were meeting with a therapist, um, I think I left each session going, oh my gosh, like everyone should know this. Right. And, um, and so, you know, it, it wasn't initially a thought in my mind to turn this into a career, but it definitely was a thought in my mind. Maybe after, I don't know, maybe three months, I just thought, oh my gosh, um, it was scary to go ask my OB about this, but, um, and the concept of talking about it with my friends seems crazy scary, but I have got to do it, right? I'd never talked with my girlfriends about sex before. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, after a few sessions and learning what I was learning, which I think was just primarily like, wow, like, I was learning like desire and arousal doesn't look the same for everyone mm-hmm. and that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I had, I was learning like for some people, desire and arousal shows up very spontaneously. Um, but for other people, it's like a slow ramp and turn on. Right. I was learning like, wow, all of the experiences I had as a child around sexuality, which were like, basically don't talk about it. Or maybe, you know, I had like some not so great experiences with like men in my life. Um, or I, you know, was taught that like, Hey, you know, my value is like producing good grades. Let's say there was like very little incentive to like 
be in my body and curious about my body. And so these first few sessions really focused on that. And, and I thought, oh my gosh, like I have to talk to my girlfriends. I have to learn what their experiences were around this and, and um, you know, how it shows up in their intimate lives <laughs> right now, you know? Yeah. And so that was really my first step. It wasn't to like turn this into a career. It was to talk to my girlfriends about it. And I probably stayed in that space for about a year, just like getting together pretty regularly with my girlfriends, having these conversations. And I just noticed like, wow, as we have these conversations, everyone's feeling more empowered and more in charge of their erotic self and um, just happier (laughs) in general. And I, I think at that point, you know, I was, we were still seeing the sex therapist and at, at one of the sessions, she, she could see how excited I was about the topic. And she said, you know, we have this training program where we teach, <laughs> we teach how to do this with people like for a job. And, and she's like, but you know, you could also just do it for more personal growth. And, yeah. and I, I was super fascinated by that concept. And so I, I jumped into that. And, and I think, you know, maybe again, a couple of weekends into that training program, I, I think I just came home and I was like, so I'm quitting my job and I'm going to go back to school and get my master's. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> because this is just too compelling yeah. um, to not want to bring to more people and more couples. I always get the visual when I, for instance, when I was sitting in my educational program and was being taught, it was like an endless peeling of a banana. <laughs> I don't know you know, like, it's just like these layers. It's just like, here's one layer and then another layer and some more, you know, that just as you unpack sexuality and you learn more and more about it, it's just like your whole world starts to open. Or maybe it's like, you know, the lotus flower or something like this. It's just like everything just starts to open. And it was for me also just this aha moment where I was like, uh, why is the entire world not doing this? <laughs> like the well, entire and I, world. And one of the things that I think surprised me early on and, and continues to surprise me is that I started this journey because I was struggling in partnership, in relationship, right? Mm-hmm. I think if I was honest, you know, at the start of that, I was like, if you'd ask me what I wanted out of it, I would be like to have less stress about sex in our relationship, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. And I think what I've learned along the way and what I continue to be in awe of with clients is how um, learning more about your body and about yourself and um, finding where you derive pleasure. Um, it really is. I love the lotus flower visual, right? It just mm-hmm. kind of opens up a whole new world. Like I'll give like silly examples, right? Like as I started to do this work, I would say like previously I was the mom that like, let's say I was like taking my kid to a water park, right? I would like have all the dry clothes ready to go. Like we would be specially timed. Like this is when we're going to get wet. So we don't stay wet all day long. And I would be sitting on the bench, you know, supervising. And then like, I start doing this work and I start orienting myself towards pleasure Mm -hmm. and enjoying my body. And then suddenly I was the mom that like, yeah, I'm sitting on the bench, like watching my kid. That looks pretty normal. But then like, he wants to go like dump that huge bucket of water on himself. And I like spring into action. Like I don't even have dry clothes, but I'm like running under the water with him and laughing and having fun. Mm. And, 
you know, it's just like such a funny little example, but you know, another one would be like, I used to be, for some reason, these are mom examples right now, but I used to like, (laughs) you know, be like chopping the vegetables for dinner. And, and I was so focused on my like to-do list Mm. that and getting the job done that there was zero joy in that experience for me. Mm. Um, It was almost like just more stress and anxiety in some ways. And now I'm the one who like, you know what, I'm going to pour myself a glass of wine because I really like the smell of vegetables being chopped and cooked. And, you know, I would say maybe it takes me a couple minutes longer than it did before, but honestly, not that much longer. And I just enjoy it more. It's and like so inviting these things, like, all the other senses to play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It just, it has, it's so funny because in the end it has like, no, also partnered sex is <laughs> so much more amazing, but I'm so surprised at the ripple effect of like knowing what I want, being more in my senses, mm. being able to express what I want. Um, there's just so much more to it. Well, it's almost like our American culture is so goal oriented, right? Like we mm-hmm. have certain things we have to get done at certain amounts of time to meet these marks along the way. And sometimes because of our stress and our anxiety and different things, we are, we do forget the moments, you know, we do forget to mm-hmm. um, focus in and be present. And so even our sex lives become like, well, let's get, get the job done. Let's reach the orgasm. Let's try, you know, get to that. Well, point. and if I'm not super dialed into my body, I, I don't even have the potential to access the pleasure. I mean, exactly. Whether it's yeah. my morning coffee and I'm just doing it to get the caffeine hit, mm-hmm. or is it my morning coffee and I'm taking a moment to smell it? Yes. And to taste it and to feel the warmth and being like, wow, this is really good coffee. Right. <laughs> It's, that's what I look forward to every day. Yes. <laughs> it's my morning coffee. <laughs> How did your friends even, when you're, when you approached your friends and said to them, uh, can we talk about this? How did they even respond initially to that? Such a great question. You know, it's funny. Um, you know, I, I think I would have thought maybe I was alone in some of those experiences when I first started. Like the fact that so many sex therapists were fully booked gave me some inkling I wasn't alone. Yeah. But you know, everyone looks so happy in their relationship. So you think, oh, it must be fine sexually. So anyways, like I, when I first reached out to them, I had kind of posted on Facebook. I, you know, you can customize who gets to see your thing. And I had customized it. So it was a small group of female friends and I kind of thought I would post this and people wouldn't reach out because I was actually too scared to reach out to them directly. (laughs) So I just posted this thing and I tell you what, like I was either messaging or talking on the phone almost nonstop that first day because so many of my girlfriends that were able to see that post reached out and they're like, oh my gosh, like me too, I'm having those similar experiences or, you know, or maybe I've had a slightly different experience. We should talk. Um, and so it kind of like, I wasn't even initially thinking I would be talking live to them, but there was just such a high level of interest when I shared to start that, but okay, well, let's get together in the park. One of my girlfriends suggested that. And 
so I wrote the, you know, ones who were interested. I was like, hey, let's get together in the park. And it was funny because when they arrived, we hadn't like coordinated this, but so many of them were like in yoga clothes Mm -hmm. and they had told their partners they were going to yoga. Oh my gosh. Um, Because (laughs) the idea of saying, I'm going to go talk about sex with my friends even felt like just a little bit like a bridge too far. Um, and so, you know, over time, of course that shifted, they started opening up to their partners where they were going. I think the partners got very excited about it. We're like, I will watch the kids, you know, (laughs) you go to that that friend's group, have that Um, conversation. (laughs) So initially I think, you know, obviously some of my friends weren't interested and they, you know, they didn't get engaged, but others were very interested and, um, also a little bit like, Ooh, like, you know, if you can see my hand, my hands are over my mouth right now. Like, hee hee, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't believe we're doing this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, it's so funny. I, I have reconnected to friends from my past and, you know, all of us have started talking about sex as well with one another. Oh, and we have amazing. all commented like, what if we started these conversations earlier, <laughs> you know, when we right? were young, when we were in that process of, having these new sensations in our bodies and what does that mean? And, you know, it's just, well, you often think I like, will, yeah, I will share one of, so one of the things that happened when I was getting my master's was I started getting really curious, like, would the experiences I was having in my friend group be replicable across mm. other friends groups? And mm-hmm. so I actually ended up um, filing for a research project and um, ended up having 300 women kind of across the globe do these small, like four to eight person groups. And um, I kind of did like before and after um, wow. quantitative and, and um, qualitative measures of mm-hmm. what happened. And, um, you know, all the things that we're kind of talking about, like, wow, um, you know, women feeling supported and inspired and encouraged and empowered, like those showed up and that was expected. And um, or, you know, at least I was hoping, you know, that's mm-hmm. what I experienced when they experienced that. And, you know, increases in desire, decreases in stress about sex, those things all happened. But one of the surprise findings, which I wasn't expecting, was that a, a number of the women mentioned because they had done this work, because they had gotten comfortable talking with their girlfriends about sex, not only could they more easily talk to their partners about sex, but they were more easily able to talk to their children about sex. Yeah. And so, you know, for your girlfriends, I asked like, gosh, what would, what would have happened if we got this younger? I think it'll be really interesting to see if they do start to be able to pass along that ease around mm-hmm. this topic with their children so that their children actually do get this, this information when they're younger. It's like using a muscle, right? It's like practicing. I tell parents mm-hmm. when I teach parent classes, I tell them to get used to something. Called, I, I call them shower talks and car talks. And yeah. they look at me with strange eyes and I say, you know, my best thinking happens in the car and the shower. And so I say, if you are uncomfortable talking to your children about something, then you practice it yourself out loud in the car or the shower. And you just practice having the conversations. So, because then it becomes like muscle memory, almost, yeah. you know, and you just keep doing it. And it's like, 
it's true. The more we talk about things, they're not as scary and there's something that we can approach. Absolutely. And, and, and I think just like we would feel the ease or unease and our doctor asking us how our sex life is, <laughs> our children feel that too. Oh, and yeah. so the more comfortable we get, the more this seems like just a matter of fact dinner table conversation. Like, yeah, hey, how's that going? Cool. Like, do you have any questions about your body? You know? So speaking of kids, then what would you have changed yourself for your upbringing around conversations with sex? Yeah, I think the the missing component in the conversations I experienced around sex was the fact that it could be for pleasure. You know, whether it was, and for my pleasure, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether it was like the fifth grade conversation that was really talking about how to not get a disease and not get pregnant, which are good conversations to have, Mm -hmm. but there certainly wasn't also a conversation about like masturbation or toys (laughs) alongside it, you know? (laughs) Um, You know, and then if it was, yeah, like, you know, any of those conversations, whether it was church, right, of course, you get a heavy dose of like, you know, either abstinence or the fact that it's for procreation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I do think the missing element was like, you know, and it's interesting, right? Like when we have just these things about it's, you know, disease or getting pregnant. um, And if we talk about like consent as something that I would, you know, give a partner, like, do I consent for us to, you know, engage in this act? It's, it's almost like a, we're trying to protect something with our body, right? And mm-hmm. I notice when I think about the concept of protecting my body, I almost feel like my body get a little tense and like armoring up. Yeah. And so it doesn't really like prepare me or create the opportunity for pleasure to also be there. And so if I layer in also, like, what would it look like if I was taught about how to feel in my body, how to, before I give consent to a partner, actually determine if I have consent within my own body, Yes. right? And that I'm already entering in from a state of pleasure into this experience, as opposed to like, well, I guess I'm supposed to give that person pleasure, or they're supposed to magically know how to give me pleasure. Right. Um, I just think that topic was not well tended to um or tended to at all when I was growing up if anything like the (laughs) the message I got was like oh if I am having pleasure I need to like hide it (laughs) exactly and I also think we don't have the understanding as much of what even might feel good within our own bodies or how you know pleasure can be so many other things and I think we as a society at on some level have become very detached from our bodies, you know, kind of like you were talking about again with like the vegetables of chopping vegetables of understanding like, Oh, I really enjoy the smell of vegetables. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, sometimes we're so detached about what even feels good and what kind of touch we even like and where we even like it, you know, to even have that. Yeah. Or we have like some script in in our head of what it's supposed to look like. I'm working with couples now, like encouraging them to go slowly enough that they notice something they didn't notice before about their body or their orientation towards something pleasurable. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, that, that level of awareness where so many of us are in our heads and, you know, that definitely creates challenges for men and, you know, enjoying themselves and it creates challenges for women and, 
and um, yeah. So how do you help couples enjoy the journey rather than, you know, that quote, like it's not the destination, (laughs) it's the journey. Like how do you help them enjoy and experience that pleasure along the way and help them get out of almost that performance-based mindset? Mm-hmm. Yeah, such a good question. So I really like um, to help them have little experiences in the office that will help them kind of clue into that, right? So it might be as something as simple as like, you know, close your eyes right now and and notice how connected to your body you are. Are you able to find something that is pleasurable in this moment and how do you how do you connect and orient to that Mm -hmm. is there a way you could make that pleasure bigger right is there a way that you block out that pleasure or don't you know allow it to get bigger um you know to to just start with those like non-erotic right building blocks of being in their body and being aware of the capacity um, then, you know, as we start to like explore, like, well, but what, what do you need sexually, right? We have to like debunk a lot of myths around what it's supposed to look like yeah. or what I'm supposed to find as a turn on. Um, and so, you know, of course there's going to be a heavy dose of sex education there where mm-hmm. we talk about their bodies and how they actually work and how they work mm-hmm. as you age, right? Cause things yeah. change over time. Um, you know, I think the, you know, just, there's just a couple like lessons, uh, sex education lessons that I think are, are really fundamentally helpful. Uh, you know, I'll share one of them here because I think if your listeners hear this, it'd be really important. You know, I think what we've got like culturally in terms of um, this idea of how desire is supposed to show up is it is this, I think I mentioned before, it's like the spontaneous thing, right? Like you're just walking through life, you get some sort of stimulus and you're like, wow, like I'm ready for sex. You're like, let's right? go. And it's like <laughs> desire goes from like zero to a hundred miles an hour and it's big and it's obvious. And there are, um, you know, huge portions of the population that feel um, sexual desire show up in that way. Mm-hmm yay them, high five them, yeah. awesome for them. <laughs> I, I always joke that there's like, there's like the, the exercise equivalent, right? There's the people who just like, you know, do you want to go work out? And they're like, yeah, let's go <laughs> let's work go. out. They're like so excited, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also another huge portion of the population that that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. That how it works for them is they get a little stimulus and it's, so small initially the feeling of desire and arousal in their body that it might actually be easy to miss. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah. so it'd be easy to just ignore and go back to no arousal. Right. Right. And that, you know, there's this idea of like, no, I can cultivate that. I can notice that tiny little sparkle or glimmer of warmth or tingling or tension. That's a good kind of tension. And I can notice it. And not have again this like I've got a race to the finish but just like what what might I do right now to like encourage that is it Mm -hmm. you know dressing a certain way is it you know sending a little note to my partner is it reading something like what do I do to nourish that because it feels good Mm -hmm. um and so but this is what I consider is like more like responsive desire it's this like slow ramp up Mm -hmm. and 
again, like the ex exercise equivalent, it's like for these type of people who are wired this way erotically, they're the type of people that like when they come to me, sometimes they'll say, well, I know that if I start having sex, like in the middle, I'll kind of be like, oh, this is pretty good. Like, I like this. Or at the yeah. end <laughs> yes. of sex or at the yeah. end of the workout, I'm like, why don't I do that more often? Um, and so like it's when I'm working with clients to really normalize Mm-hmm. that if you're that second category of person, that doesn't mean you don't have desire or you have low desire. It just means that it, it's different for you. For it doesn't look like it does for your partner. And so yeah. for the partner with maybe, quote, higher desire or spontaneous desire to not say my partner doesn't have desire, but to recognize that it shows up differently, it's paced differently. I think it takes the pressure out for what it's supposed to look like when we're through this work, right? right? Mm-hmm. And it's- to like show them like, wow, what you thought was like maybe like desire level 10 is like, no, there's actually like, we can go a lot higher than that. <laughs> right. It's kind of, it's almost like personality types in a way, right? Like sometimes there's the type A really driven and then there's the type B, you know, it's, as we give people different personality types, we have to also say, you know, we respond differently sexually and that's okay. And it's just different. And we just have to get to know what that means and then and the how same, to tend to that. In the same, like with your turn-ons, you know, the um, somatica uh, women that I trained with, I, one of the things I love about them is they, they have this phrase, like, what's your hottest sexual movie? And just recognizing that what is hot to me might be different than what is hot for you. And, you know, if we know that, you know, maybe sometimes you could star in my movie, maybe sometimes I could star in your movie and we could celebrate it instead of feeling pressured by it. Mm -hmm. So that kind of makes me think a little bit of fantasy and how do you um, help your clients get in touch with that? Because that also, you know... I love that contributor question. to desire. <laughs> totally right. Because like, you know, we've been talking about the body, body, body. And certainly mm-hmm. like I kind of, the way I describe this to clients is like, so if you masturbate, just like using your hands or using a toy, we're talking about the physicality of turn on, right? It's right. got a very physical um, sense. Um, but then if you throw in like, and you also are thinking about something or watching something, you're starting to layer on more of a psychological component to turn on or arousal. Right. And those are very, very useful because there's all of these different pathways to turn on. And if I can like understand them all and, you know, be my own symphony conductor across all these different pathways, well, the more pleasure I can have. And so you're right. Like fantasy does play Um, Not for everyone. It's not a pathway for everyone, but it Mm -hmm. is oftentimes, especially as I explore with clients, um, that there's, there's something powerful there. So the way that I usually do that with clients and listeners could do this at home is just to think back, you know, through their own sexual history or to um, think of, you know, a movie that maybe sparked a little turn on for them or porn scene that sparked a little turn on for them. And I'll usually have clients like kind of write out a couple different scenes that turn them on. And it could be as simple as like when she showed up in the doorway wearing lingerie, when he looked at me this way, or that time in Cabo in the bathroom, you know, it could be all these different (laughs) scenes, right? Um, 
or that type of porn where she like counts down and they have to do this by this point in time. You know, there's so many different things. And what I'll have clients do is underneath each of those scenes, I'll have them write down adjectives mm. of how they feel when they imagine that scene other than just turned on. So, you mm. know, maybe the scene with the woman in the doorway in the white nightgown, um, I felt special, I felt chosen, I felt desired. Um, I felt in anticipation, you know, whatever these adjectives are, there's like, you know, a list of like 30 that I find clients will commonly use. That's really gold. Yeah. Because now it actually isn't about the scene anymore. Mm -hmm. It's a way that they want to feel in that kind of shared sexual experience. So if I want to feel special Mm -hmm. now, my partner and I have a word that we can be like, huh, well, if I say these things, does that make you feel special? If I look at you in these ways, does that make you feel special? If we are in this setting, does that make you feel special? And we have this whole world opening up that isn't just a fantasy world, right? Certainly we can construct fantasies that sure. create that feeling, but we just like open up all of these other elements to um, sex that yeah. can make it that much more enjoyable for me. Well, you're getting to like the emotion of it. It yes. sounds like within that, because again, I think so much we're very used to detaching from that again, because I, I do believe we, we have an image or mindset of how sex should be. And I think so often that at least I was taught growing up in a Christian environment, you know, that sex has to be so special. It has right. to be extraordinarily <laughs> intimate. You need to connect. And that's true. I do believe like it is our form of connection, but there's also because we forget the parts of pleasure and how we want to feel and that the brain is very much involved, that it also can put like this wedge between it. Yeah. And so it, I feel like with that exercise that you're doing, then is bringing those connections in the body and the brain together. And it can be surprising too, because sometimes my brain will be like, you know, I'm a feminist. I shouldn't want X, Y, and Z. But then right. as I'm looking at these scenes, I'm like, whoa, Why I really like it when I'm naughty right. or this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, being honest with yourself about like, hey, mm -hmm. sexuality can also be a playground for things that yeah. energy and words and situations I wouldn't necessarily want in the outside world. But yeah. here with my partner, Creative I get to expression. play. Yeah. 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 And I love how you said the conductor of an orchestra because that just there's so many different parts right that can that are at play too that I feel like we don't consider and so it is yeah. kind of like how do we bring those parts to come together you know yeah that's all the layers you were talking about right there's just so much actually when you dive into it we kind of think like sex should just happen it's just supposed to be organic yep. and spontaneous like I think that's one of the other myths that we hear right mm -hmm. and the reality is it doesn't when you think back to like early dating years right like there was a lot that went into that you were probably real sweet to that person ahead of your planned get together that was on the calendar you probably did like a lot of grooming or like mm -hmm. creation of a space like it's not as like spontaneous and organic as we think. Mm -hmm. um, and particularly if we're looking to have certain experiences. And so, you know, discovering the layers of all of that and turning it from, you know, at least for what was for me in the beginning, an obligatory pressure filled 
not for myself situation to like, oh my gosh, like all the pleasure I have even before <laughs> this thing. And now I get to play, like, it's just fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Reframing Our Stories podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and consider becoming part of the community by becoming a patron. You can do that by going to patreon.com backslash reframing our stories. There you can see the options that fit and speak to you personally. We hope that these stories are helping you reframe the stories. What are the, so what are the major themes you hear in your office that couples bring to you? Um, I think because of my own personal experience, what shows up a lot in my office and, and is probably one of the more prevalent things is a de- desire discrepancy, yeah. right? Someone wants more sex than the other. And, and frankly, right, like that would be actually shocking if that wasn't the most common thing. Because if you have two people, the idea that they would be perfectly evenly matched yeah, it's, it's kind of, yeah, unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what shows up most in my office. And, um, you know, in that case, I'm really working with the quote, higher desire partner to maybe hold their energy um, differently so that it is uh, more invitational um, and that they, you know, don't feel so frustrated and rejected, but they really feel like high five themselves. They've got desire and it's awesome. Yeah. And with the, you know, quote, lower desire, it's, you know, getting more in their body and determining more what is going to make that something that they want to engage in. So, so that's a big does, theme. What does that look like for the person with a higher desire to hold that space? What would that look yeah, like? Yeah. I mean, the, the like, you know, quick visual on that is like yeah. James Bond is how <laughs> I think of it. <laughs> it's different <laughs> for everybody, but you know, like, like where they don't need anything. Mm. Right. For someone, if they're partnered with someone who's not feeling desire in their body, forget about, it's not desire for the other person. They're just literally not feeling desire in their body. Yeah. And so, you know, if, like don't if, take it personally for one. Yeah. If mm-hmm. desire is coming towards you when you don't feel desire in your body, that's actually kind of scary. Yeah. Um, and so helping them hold desire in a different way where it's not coming towards them so much, but it's just present. Mm-hmm. right or it's kind of like that thing that makes you kind of perk up you know it's like the I'll have what she's having like it's just like whoa yeah. like that's interesting that kind of like sparks something in my body and it's not coming towards me I have space to come towards it which is actually what that person oftentimes wants to begin with mm. interesting yeah. so what can we all learn? You know, you create these spaces or you you created spaces for women to like sit down and have these conversations. What do you think we could all learn if we just sat down together, you know, over tea and we're like, so let's talk about sex. (laughs) Let's go to there. (laughs) Let's continue these conversations. Like how do you believe it can transform people? Yeah. Oh, I love that question. And I, and it just, I just want to do a little PSA before I dive into the answer, because I realized how, how oftentimes in this conversation, and even in just this idea that women are getting together that, um, I just want to do a little PSA about men, which is, it's just as likely 
maybe slightly less likely, but it's a large percentage of men who actually struggle with feeling desire too. Mm -hmm. And because that's not kind of what we culturally talk about, I think when that is the case, when the couple comes in and it's the guy who's having quote lower desire in the relationship, there's just that generally that man is feeling a lot of shame. I was going to say, and, you must have more shame and, over that. Yeah. And mm. the woman is angry because <laughs> mm. he's always right. supposed to be ready. Right. And he's not. Well, and, and, so, that, and I think that's too, where a lot of rejection is built in and all the common like scripts that we have written for yeah. the genders and how they're garbage. Right. Because it's like, we put those harsh yeah. expectations of like, man, like yep. almost like the conqueror of sex and who's always thinking about it, the yeah. woman who needs to provide, you know? And it's- yeah. And that was definitely like, that was one of the things that I discovered in my group. And it's definitely what I heard from other women too, is that um, it, there's not as prescriptive as we think ways for this exactly. to look in relationship. There's all these different ways. So mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a nice normalization of, of um, what women might learn in groups. Um, I think the other thing is just that the world of turn on is so vast. Like I remember a conversation with my girlfriends about blowjobs and we all got to talk about our orientation to them. Mm. And it was so fascinating to hear the women who had no interest in them, right? right? The women who were like, yeah, you know, it's nice when I'm not feeling desired to like be able to give that to my partner. It was crazy to hear the women who were like, oh my gosh, I love them. It's like a chance to worship my man. And like, oh, I wow. like the way my painted fingernails look, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, and, and so regardless of the topic, I think I found that if the group is large enough, I think four is about the smallest group where you can get this kind of dynamic. Mm. Um, and then maybe eight is about the largest, but yeah. That's you so have funny. this conversation That's and you're like too. <laughs> two, four to eight. Yeah. It's yeah. like a perfect, you've got enough diversity, but not so much that not everyone can be heard. Right. You want everyone to be able to be heard. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I've, I've always loved in the groups and I think it was true in the groups that I did research on that you would find both like a kinship and similarities in other women's experiences. And also you'd find differences that would really broaden your perspective or have you think about you know, I definitely thought of blowjobs differently after that conversation. I was like, huh, I'm going to, I'm going to try that one on for size. I'm going to try that one on for size, you know? <laughs> so it was, I mean, yeah, well, it makes it, it kind of, you know, less scary. It seems like it allows you to think about things in a way of, am I comfortable with this? You know, can I do this? My friends, yeah. you know, I mean, not so like much less pressure when you're having the conversation with exactly. your girlfriends than with your partner. Yeah. Yes. That's what I was thinking. So what is something in your life right now that you are having to refrain? Yeah, I think if you would have asked me like a few years ago, I definitely would have said that I was reframing from this concept that I had low desire Mm -hmm. to this concept that my desire is just different than my partner's. Yeah. And that was a really, really, really important reframe. And one, I felt broken Mm. and like there was something wrong with me. And this other one, I was like, ooh, like now I'm really curious about how my body works. Mm. Um, I think something I'm trying to reframe now is that I know how I'm wired. 
Um, you know, I think I did all this work and I'm like, okay, like this is how I work erotically. I figured it out. I did the exercise where I wrote down vignettes. I found my words. I, you know, explored these things. They worked. And I've had some things pop up recently where I'm like, well, that's a surprise. Hmm. I didn't, I didn't think I liked that thing. Right. Oh, yeah. And so I think what I'm, the reframe that I'm working on for myself is that sexuality is not like something I can ever like know completely because it is ever evolving and changing and there's space to like even surprise myself if I'm really open to it. I think that's so key. I mean, I think that's what people really need to know is, again, we like to put, we like to finalize things and, yes, you know, it's like, this is how it is. This is what this is. It's so is. much easier, you know? <laughs> I, mean, I can't tell you how many partners I'll have sitting on my couch or how many couples I'll have sitting there and someone will share something and they're like, but that's not like what you told me before. It's like, leave some space here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, it can it can grow for like plants. <laughs> we can keep growing. Yeah. Right. Like I just think we have to allow that space to evolve. And I do think it's, you know, when I have done my workshops, I say it's okay for us to live in the arbitrage. I can never say the word though. <laughs> That's, the problem. That's even better. <laughs> you know, like ambiguity, ambiguity, right? Like things, is that the right word I wanted to say? It's where it's like the unknown, right? The unknown, right? It's you it's okay for us not to know any, everything. It's okay for things to not look exactly as we thought they should look. Yeah. And when we allow ourselves to live in that space, we're going to be surprised, you know, yeah. and we're going to learn so much more. And we're going to be able to like embrace more things. Definitely. And that space is living, not just in our heads, but in our bodies, because then we're having that collective integrated wisdom, because that's how I found out each time I've surprised myself, I'm listening to my body respond. Yeah. I was just on a call with girlfriends this morning. We were talking about like reading erotica short stories and being open to not knowing which line is going to turn us on and and just being dialed into our body and being like, huh, for whatever reason, this line right here that I'm highlighting yeah, who thought? turned me on. <laughs> who who would have known, you know? Yeah. So this is so great. I just love this because it's, I just feel so sad because there's sometimes where I feel like we could have so much more pleasure and enjoyment within our own bodies and within, within relationships. And it's like, it's the limitations that we put on ourselves of whatever, because we've remained silent and because we don't talk about it. And I just think of how much people have missed out. And so that's yeah. why I am so grateful, you know, that you went out and started doing this work too. Like where it was like, you recognized, wow, this changed me mm-hmm. and um, entered in, right? You went through the process to learn and are helping so many others because I feel like absolutely so accessible. Like I truly believe every person that has a body Mm -hmm. um is is able to to do this work. Um if they want to. It's also not important to have a great sex life, you know, like if you want to, (laughs) 
yeah. is available to you. And if you want if to it's enter. not a priority, that's okay too, you know? Yeah, yeah like giving pe- people permission, right, to just be okay with however they want to express their sexuality 100%. in this world. 100%. And that's the key. <laughs> yep. That is the key. So how can people um, find you? You know, you have this um, TED Talk that... Yep. It's amazing. So talk about that. <laughs> How can people get a hold sure. of you? Yeah, I mean, I'm fairly Googleable. So if you search for <laughs> Pam, if you search for Pamela Joy, um, you will definitely find me. My company name is Down to There. So D-O-W-N-T-O-T-H-E-R-E. And I'll make a plug on my website. I have a page with a bunch of resources. So it's books by different categories of things you might want to explore. Uh, male sexuality, female sexuality, um, sexuality after different milestones, how to talk to your kids about sex, trauma and sex, illness and sex, all those things. Um, as well as I have um, a page where you can, it's a services page. If you scroll to the bottom, I've got information about um, guidelines for if you want to talk to your friends about sex. Awesome. And so um, I could just give those to you for free. They're just different discussion prompts and resources. Um, yeah, so that's all available on my website, um, and uh, I'm always happy to hear from folks who are maybe looking for resources that aren't listed on my website, and I'm happy to help if I can. So what do you want to say to people who might be a little bit nervous of reaching out uh, to go see a sex therapist, but feel like maybe that is something that they need to do? Yeah, um, you are not alone. Um, there are so many others like you and, um, to just trust that, you know, when the time is right, um, to, to do that reach out. It's a really brave, like we talked about at the start, really brave step. And I always say that to folks who reach out to me, like pat yourself on the back. That was a huge step in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And just trust that you'll know when the time is right. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you. I appreciate your work.